I think what you think about God when you've really messed up is a good test of how you really feel about God. When you've really fumbled and you've really messed something up bad, when you've really failed Him, what do you think about God? Do you see God as a heavenly loner that's really just sort of annoyed with humankind, annoyed maybe even with you? Do you see God as impatient? He's just sort of going to get us cleaned up so that he can tolerate us? Do you see God as perturbed? Just mustering all his great power just to put up with us? Do you see him perpetually angry, ready to crush us like bugs the minute we step out of line? Do you at times when you're thinking about God and when you're wrestling with something maybe that you've done or in a way that you've failed him or something that you're going through, do you think about God just as sort of toying with you? Maybe toying with you and messing with you like a cheap pet that you inherit from your neighbors when they move? Do you see him as exacting, watching your every move with a clipboard and a really sharp pencil? Do you see him as aloof and uncaring, only getting involved in the major stuff? What do you see God as? What do you see in him or think about him when you've really messed up? What I want to do this morning, what I feel like this sermon does in many ways, it does, has very little to do with you and other than how you see God. But that's pretty important. I'm hoping that as a result of how we spend these next few minutes and how we spend this Sunday and next, is that we will understand better what God is really like through looking at something as simple as creation. Something as foundational. As creation, And that we can look to something as simple as creation and understand what is it about God that's behind God and behind what he's doing for us and done for us in Christ. What is it that makes union with Christ work? Turn to the book of Genesis chapter 1. Since the last Sunday of 2015, we've been considering together as a church what it means to be in union with Christ. We found that it actually is the gospel. It's not just some sort of academic idea, academic thought, academic venture, but it actually is the good news that by faith in Christ, you are united to Christ and that his sinlessness becomes yours and that your sinfulness is reckoned and counted as his in some ways, these last couple of months, we've been considering what God has done for us in Christ, which has revealed to us something of his character. It's been implied that he's gracious and merciful and loving and yet also just and holy at the same time. But today, what I'm hoping to do in these next few minutes is that we can look at something as simple as creation and understand God's character even more. 
I'm hoping we can understand what he's like and what the driving force is behind his uniting us by faith to Christ. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read the chapter in total. And then we're going to spend these next few minutes looking at three things from this chapter. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning. The first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were called together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light, to rule the day. And the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. To rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. 
And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. There are three beautiful things I think that come out of this foundational creative chapter that can give us some insight into the character of our God that can help us answer those questions that I asked at the beginning of the morning with biblical answers. What is God really like? The first of those three has to do with a creation team at work. What I want to show you here in these next couple minutes, maybe something that's very basic, maybe something that you've understood for a long time, and maybe something that you're seeing here for the first time. But the thing that I hope is by the end of the morning is that all of us see this as something that's beautiful. That God is three persons working together in union with each other. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's a God that's spoken of there that's creating heavens and earth. And the earth is without form in verse 2. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So, so far, just in the first couple of verses there, you've got a glimpse into a God that is creating heavens and earth. And then you have a glimpse into a Spirit of God that is hovering over the face of the waters. And then in verse 3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. There are three distinct persons here going, here working in this creative event. The God who created the heavens and the earth in verse 1, the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters in verse 2, and the Word of God issuing forth light when it's spoken by the Father in verse 3 and in many places through the rest of the chapter. All three persons are hinted at in this foundational first three verses of this first chapter of our Bible. A trinity at work, working together in union with each other. Even the word here used for God, Elohim, is plural. Elohim. Look at verse 26 and 27. There's some glimpses there of something going on here that's hinted at of persons of the Godhead. Then God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, let us make man in our image. And after our likeness. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. This language here has perplexed ancient rabbis for thousands of years. Other passages that give us glimpses in chapter 3, verse 22, dealing with the fall of man. Behold, man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. In chapter 11, at the fall of the Tower of Babel, in verse 7, it says, Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Places all over our Bibles give hints at this plural language having to do with God. 
These ancient rabbis were baffled over these kinds of references because they didn't have the benefit of the rest of the story that we have. They didn't have what we have, is something called census plenior, the full meaning of Scripture. They're looking at passages like this and are confused, but we can look at passages like this through the lens of Mary conceiving by the Holy Spirit of the Son of God and see a plural Godhead at work, a creative team at work in Genesis 1. We can look through the lens of passages like Christ's baptism, where he is baptized, and as he comes up from the water, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and the Father speaks from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We can look at passages like Genesis chapter 1 and see plural word for God, Elohim. We can see references to making God or making man in our image. We can see three persons at work. And then we see a creative team and understand the nature and the character of God. These guys couldn't make sense of God as what we can, a community of persons. As Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In union with each other in one Godhead. The first thing I want to show you this morning from this beautiful chapter and something that's very simple but is so rich is the reality that God is relational before he said the words, let there be light. He was and is relational as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a community of God in three persons. God is relational is the thing we're going to enjoy together this morning. He is relational as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together in harmony, in complement, in concert with three persons of one Godhead. God is by nature relational. He is not a divine loner, going back to one of those questions that I asked. He never has been. He's always been a community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here's the second thing I want to show you from this passage. The nature of, what, of, of how this creation week goes down. What, something I want to show you in this next little glimpse is that God is hospitable and he's inclusive and he does some recruiting in creation. Okay, He's three in one. We've enjoyed that just for a few moments first. And now we're going to see that he's relational in a way of being hospitable, inclusive, and actually even recruiting. There are three things going on in creation week. First of all, the direct fiats. Fiat is a word that you may not use much other than seeing the car drive down the road. Fiat means it's a command that creates something without any further effort. That's what the word means. And there are fiats that go on in this passage that are beautiful. First of all, in the context of the earth being without form and void and with darkness over the face of the deep, Into that context, God speaks in verse 3 and says, Let there be light, and bam, fiat, there is light. It's the most obvious fiat of creation week. He speaks, and his word creates something from nothing. The word there is ex nihilo, from nothing. The character of fiat runs throughout this creation week as a thread 
And you'll see little glimpses of it. You can also see it in verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days. Let them be the lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it is so, bam, because he says it. Fiat. God speaks and it is. In verse 20, he speaks and the sea creatures and the birds are. Bam! Just like that. But that's not all that's going on in creation week. Look also what kind of creative work is going on in terms of work. He speaks and things are made from fiat, but he also does some work. Look at verse 4. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. He's separating stuff here. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. There's evening and there's morning the first day. Look at verse 6. Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. Look at verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God is creating through direct fiat, but he is also doing some work with stuff that he's already created. He's separating stuff from above, from below. He's gathering stuff over here and putting stuff over here. He's ordering, he's speaking stuff into existence, but but he's also doing some work. Separating, gathering, and ordering And here's the beautiful thing to me, the most beautiful thing of this study is what takes place in addition to those things. Look at verse 11 and watch what happens. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Embedded within this week of fiat and work is something peculiar. You have to read it a few times before it starts to stand out to you where you go, wait a second, he's speaking things into existence and he's gathering some things and he's ordering some things and he's separating some things. But here in verse 11, we see him doing something else. He's recruiting a created earth to go then do some more creating. Watch how this thing goes down now that you're knowing what to look for. Let the earth sprout vegetation. Plants yielding seed. The earth I just created. The earth that I just spoke into existence. Let that thing now do some creating. And beautifully, it's not just creating stuff. It's creating more life-giving stuff. Like fruit that bears seeds. Stuff that has more life in it. He's speaking stuff into existence. He's gathering stuff. He's ordering stuff. He's separating stuff. But then he's doing some recruiting. Now the stuff that I've made, now you go do some creating. Earth... Gives forth sprouts and vegetation and plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit. It's not only in what he does here, but in what he creates. He shows us something in creation week that's delightful. He puts the newly created earth to work creating. He puts his creatures to work creating. 
It's unlike his other work in every way. This creation is not ex nihilo from nothing. This creation is using already created materials and organizing and forming into vegetation and plants and fruit trees, all bearing seed for even more creative work. And he does more of this. Look at verse 14. He commands the newly created lights to rule the day. Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. Go on down to verse 15. Let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it's so. God made the two lights in verse 16. Greater light to rule the day and lesser light to rule the night and the stars. He commands these newly created lights to then go do some stuff. Then in verse 24, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Let the earth do some creating, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And then he does this with man. He takes an already created substance called earth, Adamo. That's where Adam gets his name from, earth, dirt. And he creates and forms a man from stuff. And then from the man, he takes a rib and he forms Eve. And he gives man and woman some instructions to rule over creation. Look at it, verse 26. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion. I'm not just going to speak stuff into existence. I'm not going to do all the work of organizing and creating and separating. But I'm actually going to create some stuff and then give it some instructions. I'm going to give it some creative work. I'm going to give it some creative opportunity and ability. And in this passage, he's giving this newly created man dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then in verse 28, he does exactly with mankind what he's done with fruit. And the fruit-bearing trees, verse 28, he says, He blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Make some more creation and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He tells them, essentially, Go make more of you, Adam and Eve, and rule over this thing that I just spoke into existence, that I organized, that I separated, that I gathered together. Now I'm putting you in charge of it. And then at the end of that, that creation day, he calls it very good. There are direct fiats where he speaks stuff into existence. There's work where he's separating and ordering. And then there's the creative activity of creation itself with vegetation, fruit, Man, all charged with being fruitful and multiplying. He commands the earth to bring forth land animals also. And the creatures follow his commands and contribute to the eventual outcome. We've already established that just Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that existed before he said, let there be light, demonstrates the fact that God in and of himself is already relational. But I want you to see it in creation week and how he creates. He's relational in how he creates in bringing creation in on creation week. Consider how he could have made all this. He could have made all this in a word that's got, that, I studied, that I found is called monolithic way, meaning undiversified. 
in a way where it's only through his direct fiat or only through his ordering and gathering. He could have done it without us involved in any way. But he didn't because he's a relational God. He brought us in on this work. He invited us into it. He built this creation dependent on him, but also dependent on one another to continue and perpetuate the work. He essentially said, I want you creatures in on my creative work. Anybody that's ever wanted to understand the Great Commission? How about that? I want you in on my creative work. It's my best for you. Man, if you ask the question, is God just toying with us like a cheap pet inherited from the neighbors when they moved? No way. He, from the outset, has made us to be part of his creative work as a relational God, as a relational being. He recruited us into the work. The third thing that comes from this chapter is something that may not be something you really think about very often. Look at verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth and it's so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. The third thing I want to show you from this passage, from this creation week that tells us something about God is that God entered into covenant with creation. It's not a word that we think about very often. It's not a word that we use very often unless we're talking about a marriage ceremony. But I bet if you think about the word covenant, at least for me, my background in hearing that word covenant, maybe in church settings, is I have thoughts that are restrictive, sort of confining, sort of limiting, don't eat from that tree sort of thoughts when I hear the word covenant. But I hope that I can help you see a better, more beautiful picture of this word covenant in this creation week. Because he enters into covenant with creation as he creates it. There are the covenant parts throughout creation week where there's command. He says, let there be, and then there's something. We just looked at this, particularly the lights. Let there be lights. And then after that, there's judgment. And part of judgment includes evaluation and then sanctions. He can look now at the heavens and look at the lights, the one that rules the day and one that rules tonight, and says, let there be. And then he can look at them saying, how are you doing? Are you ruling it like I commanded you to? He's entered into covenant with creation. He commands them to rule over the day and over the night, and he looks at the lights to see if they obeyed. God, a relational, covenantal Lord, commands the world which he created to obey, and then it actually comes into being, creating more of itself. And God looks on the created, obedient world, and he, what did he do every single day? Every single day, except where the waters are separated, maybe because of the flood that's coming, every single day ended with these words. It is good, except for the sixth day. It is very good. The sanctions in that case are blessings. Light that rules the day, light that rules the night, you did what I told you to do. It's good. I'm calling you good. 
This beautiful covenantal progression of command, evaluation, and blessing show us so much about the kind of God that we have. He is relational. He is social. And the way he goes about relating to us and engaging us is through covenants. These things go hand in hand. It's out of his relational character for fellowship and for interaction with his crowning achievement of creation, man, that he entered into covenant with Adam and Eve. These words see them as covenant in chapter 2. We hadn't read this yet, but let's look at it. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man, he put him in the garden of Eden to work it, to keep it. Here's what I want you to do. Just like I commanded the light to rule the day and the light to rule the night. Here, man, I'm commanding you to work the garden of Eden. Keep it, tend to it. And he commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. He entered into covenant with this created Adam and Eve. And the beautiful, hopeful sanctions would be over there a hint of them in verse 8 of chapter 3. This is after they fell. God knew that. But we get a little glimpse here of what was in store had they obeyed. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. Those were the beautiful blessings in store for an obedient Adam and Eve is this relationship of walking with a relational God in the cool of the day. At that time of day where it's not hot and it's not cold yet. It's that same temperature that your body feels where you just can't even feel the air. And you can hear birds singing. That beautiful time of day is what was in store for them had they been obedient. So as you ask the question... Is God perpetually angry and ready to crush us like bugs? We can say, no, sir, and no, ma'am. He's relational. He wants to walk with you in a covenantal way. He wants to walk with you, in fact, in the cool of the day. That's what we were made for. That's what God wants for us. Because our God is a relational God. He is himself a community of three persons. He wants fellowship with us. He wants, in fact, to partner with us in his creative work. And he's relentless in this pursuit. Thank God. He's relentless in this pursuit. You know the rest of the story that the fall did terrible damage to this relationship. We broke covenant. Adam and Eve broke covenant. If it had been Ben and Eve, we'd have broken covenant too. If it had been you and whoever, we'd have broken covenant. We broke covenant with God. We were evaluated. We received sanctions. And instead of blessings, we received condemnation And the earth is cursed, and we are evicted from the garden, and we now experience the things that break all of our hearts, death and decay as a result. As a result of Adam's sin, the walking in the cool of the day relationship was lost. And man was left with groping after his creator. Groping. 
And man was left with perpetual reminders of separation from him when we sin and we feel guilt and shame. And we know what it felt like for Adam and Eve to hide in the bushes. While man was changed and the earth was cursed, here's the beauty though, God did not change. Man, it was ruined for us. But our God did not change. He was and he is ever relational, ever social. Man, what a beautiful answer to some of these questions. He's not a loner. If you're wondering, is God a loner and he's just hanging out there up there by himself? He is instead, he's part of a relational, creative team before the words were ever even said, let there be light. If you ask the question, is he just tolerating us up there? No, man, he made you for a cool of the day sort of fellowship and relationship. If you think about God and you think, man, he's just up there perturbed and putting up with us, hopefully you have some answers there where you can see yourself. No, he made us for himself. And he made a way to fix this problem that Adam and Eve messed up for us. He recreated us. He recreated us. We're going to enjoy our supper here in a moment. We're going to distribute the elements here in a moment. And I would like for you to turn to a passage in preparation for that that I'll share once the elements are distributed. What I want you to see as we enjoy these elements together is that he recreated a people as the same creation team that created that first week went to work in recreating us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father did the sending. He did the speaking. And the Son, the Word of God, went into action and did the creating. And the Holy Spirit, as He hovered over the waters, the Holy Spirit has a much more involved role in this creation as he gives us faith, first of all, he, as he opens the eyes of our heart, he shows us who Christ is and what he's done for us. And then on top of that, he unites us to Christ. And he seals us into a whole new covenant and a whole new relationship with the Lord. And together through Christ, we can walk in the cool of the day with God yet again. Let's distribute the elements.